We've been going through the prophet Isaiah, and last week we examined the bulk of chapter 2 in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, where God, through the prophet, confronted his people Judah with their problem of pride. That they had been going through a very successful period, and that success had gone to their heads in such a way that they had lost sight of the God who was ultimately responsible for their successes. And in chapter 3, Isaiah digs deeper into the subject of pride, this time showing us in more detail what it will look like for the proud to be humbled and brought low. And the picture is not pretty. And we find it in Isaiah chapter 3. And so if you've not opened up your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open to page 675 in the Black Pew Bibles in front of you or in your own Bibles to Isaiah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. We'll be reading through chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to call it chapter 3. Even We just got one little hanger on there. So chapter 4 is included in its tiniest little bit there. Isaiah Chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. For behold, the Lord, God of hosts, is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply. All support of bread and all support of water. The mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner, and the elder, the captain of fifty, and the man of rank, the counselor, and the skillful magician, and the expert in charms. And I will make boys their princes, and infants shall rule over them. And the people will oppress one another, every one his fellow, and every one his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder, and the despised to the honorable. For a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have a cloak, you shall be our leader, and this heap of ruins shall be under your rule. And that day he will speak out, saying, I will not be a healer. In my house there is neither bread nor cloak. You shall not make me leader of the people. For Jerusalem has stumbled, and Judah has fallen, because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying His glorious presence. For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves." Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. My people, infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Oh, my people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. The Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. 
It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people? By grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord, God of hosts. The Lord said, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk around, walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantonly with their eyes, mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet. Therefore, the Lord will strike with a scab the heads of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will lay bare their secret parts. In that day, the Lord will take away the finery of the anklets, the head the headbands and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets and the scarves, the headdresses, the armlets, the sashes, the perfume boxes and the amulets, the signet rings and nose rings, the festal robes, the mantles, the cloaks and the handbags, the mirrors and the linen garments, the turbans and the veils. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness. And instead of a belt, a rope. And instead of well-set hair, baldness. And instead of a rich robe, a skirt of sackcloth. And branding instead of beauty. Your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty men in battle. And her gates shall lament and mourn. Empty she shall sit on the ground. And seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, we give thanks for your word. We thank you that you speak to us that you do not leave us in the dark searching out what you would have us to say, but Lord, you are a God who speaks and makes yourself known, and so make yourself known today through this word, O God, and use me in spite of my own sin, in spite of my own weakness, in spite of my own pride, O God, to proclaim your word and give us ears to hear and open hearts and minds to receive it in spirit work today in us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Looking at our passage today, we are confronted again with the problem of pride. And I want us to see in this chapter that there are twin stories. They're not quite identical. We'll call them fraternal twins. They're very close, though. And the theme of pride among God's people is here in each of these stories, these twin descriptions of God's judgment. One of them, the first one, is more descriptive of men, at least stereotypically, and the other is more stereotypically descriptive of women, though they are not exclusive to either gender, and they can be understood symbolically. And we see some of these ideas pop up in ways you can see that they are twins, that they are meant to be seen together. In verse 1 and verse 18, God says that he is going to take away from his people. Remember, Isaiah is addressing pride, and so God is going to take away what his people are proud of, that his people were full of themselves, thinking they were successful and accomplished, and so God is ready to take away what they were proud of. 
In verse 1, God says he will take away all support and supply, meaning all those things that stereotypically men tend to work and fight for. Food and water are basic needs. Protection through military might. Wisdom to make good choices. And the sound governance and good leadership needed for people. God says he will take these things away because his people have grown proud in how safe and secure they feel in and of themselves. And then in verse 18, God says he will take away all the beautiful adornments that women use to look appealing to others, to make themselves desirable. He will not leave them a single bracelet or earring, or nose ring as we hear. It is all being taken away because of how proud they are and how beautiful they feel that they look. And each of these judgments give us a pitiful result. Isaiah highlights that by using instead a lot, or he says in verse 5, I will make, that instead of a safe city with wise government, it is now ruled by inexperienced and incompetent men who allow society to disintegrate into a dog-eat-dog world. And instead of beautiful women in fine clothing, the women are stripped bare, uncovered for all to see every blemish, wrinkle, and imperfection. And instead of wanting to be seen by others, they would rather hide themselves. That all of their reasons for pride have been taken away by God. Now, to many of us, we'd be like, man, that's, that's real mean, God. But God is not a cruel God bringing judgment on his people for no reason. Isaiah clearly tells us that this pride is, this judgment is for their pride, that God is judging them justly, that verse 9 says his people have brought this evil on themselves, that pride is self-defeating. You can think of it a little bit like a balloon that we inflate. As kids will tell you, balloons don't last. It would be cool if you could get balloons for your birthday and you just have them like forever. It doesn't really work like that. Kids will let them go and they fly up in the sky. But more often, you either inflate them too much and they pop. Or you let them be and they slowly leak air until they are deflated. Pride's kind of like that. Pride will not last. Sure, it lasts for a while while the party's still going. But eventually, it goes away. And in the same way, we can seem successful and accomplished, but if we are too proud of ourselves, God humbles those who are haughty. We saw in the closing verse of chapter 2 that God wants his people to stop regarding mankind so highly. And so this judgment, by taking away the reasons for our pride, is a kind of mercy. It's his way of saying, stop looking at yourself. Or if you are going to look at yourself, see how pitiful you are without all of the successes I have given to you. It is a kindness for God to say to his people, don't you see you're full of air like a balloon? How impressive are you once you've burst or deflated? And like Judah, we must look somewhere other than to man for our hope and our help. Somewhere other than our own successes or the successes of others. 
But these twin stories show us that we just don't do that. That we try to solve the problem by doing the very same thing that was problematic in the first place. By trusting in man again. Judah did not learn their lesson. Judah is returning to the same thing. And we hear that in the phrase, take hold, which is in chapter 3, verse 6, and chapter 4, verse 1. That in that first story, in chapter 3, verse 6, the nation who placed too much pride in their strong leadership is in trouble. God has taken away their good stuff, including their good leaders, and they have been replaced with incompetent and immoral leadership. And so where do they turn for help? They try to take hold of another human leader to pull them out of this mess. The story is an absurd and silly one. A man looks at his brother in their father's house and says, You! You lead us! You've got a cloak! Just a normal outer garment. In other words... I mean, compared to me, you look good. You got a coat on. It's as if they're saying, someone help us. Anyone. As long as you look somewhat presentable, you're better than nothing. We're putting it all on you. You fix us. Please, we want you to rule over us. The next story in chapter 4, verse 1 is equally absurd, but not nearly as funny. The formerly well-dressed women who had sought to attract a respectable man to provide for them, they are now in trouble. All of their beauty has been taken away and replaced with rottenness and shame. So where do they turn for help? They try to take hold of any man who will take them. But this time, instead of seeing desirable because of how beautiful they are, They are trying to seem desirable by how cheap they will be. I won't ask much. Just take me. I need someone. You over there, you can provide for me. Take away my reproach. You, someone, anyone, save me. That phrase, take hold, makes you think of someone who's grabbing something tightly. My mind goes to the superhero telling the person that they are rescuing, hold on tight, as Spider-Man is about to swing on his web through the city, or as Superman is about to blast off and fly through the sky, take hold of me and I will save you. Isaiah is describing that scenario, that the suffering people of Judah are looking for Spider-Man or Superman or some man to save them. Someone they can grab onto and know that everything is going to be okay. But notice who they're not reaching out to. They are not reaching out to God. Yes, they still think of themselves as God's people. If they were to have to fill out the census form, they would still write in that their religion is Judaism. They still may worship on a weekly basis. But who... Do they really trust? Where do they look for help when they need it? Even after they've seen all of the crimes of humanity, all of the weakness of humanity, they can't help but look to humanity to save them. 
Now, if I may, I'm going to make a very brief and general point on politics as far as this is concerned, because I can't help but compare this that Isaiah is speaking to to the politics-obsessed nature of our nation today. We have seen the corruption of political officials. We take such glee in tearing down anyone who has any failure or bad tweets, you know, We have seen the selfish ways that so many people care only about themselves and their power instead of serving the people they are supposed to represent. And yet, what is our solution? I mean, this one's different, obviously. This one will clean it all up. This one's the answer. And yet, it's a man or a woman, it's a person. Now, I'm sure we can follow that rabbit trail for miles, but we're going to stop and return. And remember that Isaiah is not speaking to America. Isaiah is speaking to God's people. And yes, God's people at that time were a nation state that had a government, a military, and an economy. God's people today are not a political nation, that no country is uniquely God's people in the way that Judah was. Today, the church is God's people, and yet the church still trusts in man far more than we should, just like Judah. How do we do that? How does the church do that? Well, how would we respond if God took away all of our support and supply? Whether it's for us individually as believers or us as a church? How would we respond if all of the worldly measures of success that make us seem appealing and presentable to outsiders were taken away? If fewer people started attending worship each week? If the weekly offering diminished? If we had fewer ministry programs? If we had to cut staff? If the building started to crumble or needed to be sold? What if our reputation in the community suffered and we were spoken of terribly? How would we respond? What would we take hold of? So often the answer is we need to do something. And so let's complain about the church leaders. Let's fire the pastor. Let's start a new program. Let's tell people to give more money. Let's do anything to get young families in the door. Let's change our musical style. Let's lower our expectations of members to entice people to join. Let's try something that worked in the past when we seemed successful. Let's ask my sister. Her church is growing. I can hear those words because I hear them so often in churches all around the country. Those are the conversations that are happening. That when churches see things taken away, see our support and supply diminish, we feel, hold, we feel like we must take hold of a solution. And that solution is often man's ability to restore support and supply. With a token acknowledgement that prayer is also important. Why does that happen? Why do we, like Judah, keep trusting in man instead of turning to God? Well, the obvious reason is the sin within our own hearts that leads us to distrust God and not want to rely on him. But one particular manifestation of that sin is the way we put too much stock in our leaders. Now, can I just say, did not plan that, you know? 
didn't know that was happening. I'm, I'm not leaving, just so everyone knows. This isn't like, thank you, get out. At least I don't think it is. Um, it's apparently Pastor Appreciation Month. Thank you. Um, but we tend to put too much stock in our leaders. You may notice in this passage, Isaiah says a lot of things about leaders, depending on whoever he calls them. He gives all different sorts of titles, but they're all leaders. And as God's people, we can look to our human leaders to make the church successful and appealing. We desire leaders to make our church look good or do good. And that's a noble desire as long as we are seeking the thing behind those leaders, which is the God who is leading us all, instead of just, well, this person will fix it. But leaders like myself need to remember that as well, that too often we can get big heads thinking we are responsible for the success of the church and the various ministries that are doing well, that we are what makes the church appealing. But God can take away that success and that appeal in an instant when it becomes a source of pride. He will bring down those who think too highly of themselves and those who are too highly thought of, which is a mercy, a merciful judgment so that we will turn back to him as our ultimate support and supply, the one whose beauty should shine through all of his servants. But it's not that easy to turn back. For God to simply take away some of the obstacles of our pride and, oh, well, now this is easier, we can do it. We need more than the mercy of God to take away and make things easier because our pride problem is persistent. When things go south for us, we look for the wrong way out. We are no different than this man saying, hey, bro, can you lead us? Or this woman looking with other women for one man to take them. When God takes away so that we turn back, we so often trust in our own solutions or the solutions of others. But thankfully, we do not simply have a God who takes away. We have a God who gives. He does not simply take away from his people in judgment. He gives to us in his grace. And in Jesus Christ, God has given us the hope and the help that we need. And anytime we see ourselves and try to be successful and appealing apart from God, we will inevitably fail. We may succeed for a while like the balloons at the party that stay inflated, but either they will burst from big-headedness or shrivel away because God was never there to begin with. But in Jesus, God gives us his grace so that we can truly live as his people. That vision from the early part of chapter 2 of God's people living according to God's word, trusting in the Lord and following him and serving others, that is what is behind all of this. That's where he's driving the people. It is only by trusting in God that we can live as God's people are supposed to live. And in Jesus, we have the gift that makes it possible. In Jesus, we have a leader that we can take hold of to guide us wisely in grace and in truth and in justice. He provides for us support and supply. He feeds us with his word, equipping our defenses against the devil's lies and our own sinful desires. And in Jesus, we have a husband who does take away our reproach, cleaning up the rottenness of our sin, and he makes us truly beautiful. 
He secured forgiveness for us through his death. And he clothes us in his righteousness so that we are beautiful in God's sight. And he pours out on us the Holy Spirit to ensure that that righteous beauty is not merely external, but it grows on the inside as the Spirit shows us our sin that we repent of them and helps us to grow in holiness and the fruit of the Spirit. No man can provide like that. No man can make us beautiful like that. No leader can change us in that way that we live sacrificially for others while loving God. No man but Jesus. And he is a gift that will never be taken away from us. A leader that will never be taken away from us. And so let us take hold of him as our hope and our help. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for your grace in giving us Jesus. We thank you for the mercies of removing things that we are proud in so that we turn back to you. Lord, help us to do that, to take hold of Jesus and not take hold of ourselves or of others. Lord, we do thank you for the gift of godly leaders who do not serve for their own gain but serve simply to point other people to take hold of Jesus. We pray, O oh God, that you would give your churches around the world leaders like that who point people to Jesus. For it is Jesus whom we all need. He is our support and supply. He is the one who makes us beautiful. And so God, please make us beautiful in Jesus and help us to see that the beauty he gives us may not be the world's beauty, but it is a far greater and far greater lasting beauty. In Jesus' name we pray.